Good evening to you. My name's Jim. I'm the vicar here. A warm welcome to you. Uh, This evening we're kicking off uh, a new uh, series in our evening service. It will see us all the way through uh, to moving into the Salt House, our new building, uh, come Easter Sunday, which we really hope you'll be able to join us for. But the series uh, that we're starting tonight and we're following through is looking at power, the power of dot, dot, dot. And each week we're going to be looking at a different thing uh, because it strikes me that as you read through the New Testament, particularly, uh, obviously, Jesus, but then into the early church as well, power, the word power is mentioned in the New Testament so many times. I couldn't be bothered to count, but if you want to do that, then feel free. But it's there a lot. And it seems to me that an experience of power is just the given experience of a Christian. That As the New Testament talks about Christianity and what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus, it's kind of assumed, it's kind of a given that power, there's an experience of power in that. Uh, I'm going to get you to do a little bit of work this evening, a bit of thinking, a bit of reflecting, a bit of chatting to one another as well. But firstly, just want to ask you, you don't need to do this, and just think to yourself, uh, is that your experience uh, of the gospel? Is that how you experience the Christian life? Would you say that the gospel you've experienced, the Christian life that you experience, is that one of power? Or do you sometimes feel like Christianity is kind of like a load of rules that you've got to follow without resources to carry them out? Or or a load of laws uh, kind of with a lack of life? Do you often feel like actually it's a bit of a slog and maybe there's not that much power? And the truth is a, a powerless Christian life is exhausting. I don't know if any of you experience that, but a Christian life that lacks power is just exhausting. But that's not what uh, God wants for us. It's not what the Bible says that is open to us. Romans 8.11 says this. Uh, It tells us that the power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that lives in you and that lives in I. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in you and me. Is that something that you can relate to? Is that something I can relate to? Do you get out of bed on a Monday morning and go, wow, I feel like the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me this morning? If you're anything like me, probably not. Do you sense something of the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, not just when you're here at church thinking about it, but when you're just going about your daily lives? Are you aware of the power of the Spirit, of the power that raised Jesus from the dead in you and through you. If not, then maybe, maybe you haven't, I haven't, really grasped what the gospel is. Maybe we haven't then really grasped what Christianity is. But if that's the case, please don't panic. You don't need to throw your faith out the window quite yet. Uh, We're going to look at that this evening and throughout this term. If you have grasped something of that power, uh, then just to say there is so much more still for you to experience. Why are we talking about power? Well, I think it's easy to turn up on a Sunday. Uh, It's easy to turn up to a student gathering or a youth session or your community hubs or whatever it is you do and just do what we do week in, week out. We're quite good at it. But the Bible... The New Testament 
encouraging us, urges us not to be lazy, powerless Christians. You see, the danger is that as we're so used to coming week in, week out, doing our Christian stuff, the danger is that it all becomes too familiar. And you know how the saying goes, familiarity breeds... Thank you, Matthew. You see, anyone who knows that saying? No, Matt said it as well. Familiarity breeds content. But with Jesus in the New Testament, it's worse than that. We read with Jesus that when people were familiar with him, when there was a familiarity with Jesus, it didn't just breed contempt, it stopped miracles. Jesus, when he went into his hometown in Galilee, he said he couldn't perform any miracle there because the people knew him. If we become just so familiar with church and Christianity, the danger is that we just uh, kind of breed contempt or, or worse than that, that we stop almost the power of God doing what it's meant to do. And we want in this church a culture of expectancy. That sense that as you walk in to a meeting, whether a, a service, whether a student gathering, we want that sense that anything can happen and probably will. Now, obviously, that's about the Spirit. It's down to God, how and when He moves, obviously. But equally, that doesn't come, the atmosphere isn't created without each one of us being committed to creating and modeling a culture of expectancy because we've grasped and experienced the power of the gospel. And we know there's so much more. And that's what I want to look at tonight, the power of the gospel. So we're going to start uh, with Romans 1, just reading uh, a few verses in there. I think they're going to come up on the screen. If you've got your Bibles with you or on your phone, do uh, have a look and read along. So Romans 1, the power of the gospel. Paul, this is Paul writing, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We're going to come back to what some of those words mean uh, a bit later on. But this evening, uh, that's what I want to look at, the power of the gospel. So very quickly, just where you are, uh, if you are a massive introvert, feel free just to ignore me. Uh, but if, if just where you are, turn to twos or threes, and very quickly, just tell each other, what is the gospel? Okay. Have you got it right? Okay, very quickly, same groups again. Just tell each other, answer the question, what is Christianity? Okay, we'll come back to that. But this evening, we're going to look at what Paul means when he talks about the power of the gospel that brings salvation. Um, uh, William Barclay's written some great stuff on this. Tim Keller as well, those of you who know him, a pastor in New York, has written some great stuff on this. And Tim Keller talks about this passage, that this passage tells us about the form of the gospel, the content of the gospel, and the power of the gospel. It's like Paul's, in these two verses, in a nutshell, is describing what it means, uh, what the gospel means and what it means to be a Christian. So we're going to unpack that. Firstly, uh, I want to start about the for, looking at the form of the gospel. If you read through Romans 1, you see Paul uses this word gospel so many times. What is with this word being used so much, especially here by Paul. Well, the word gospel, you might know, is a Greek word that, when translated, essentially means good 
Herald. In other words, uh, the media of its day. You might have heard of paper, papers called the Daily Herald or something Herald or something like that, but, but it's the media of its day, if you like. How in Paul's day did news about great historic events get spread and distributed back in his day? Well, it wasn't print, it wasn't TV, it wasn't social media, it was Herald's. So, uh, if a general has just won a great battle, how does he go and spread the news? He doesn't get out his phone and, and tag someone on Instagram. He, he sends a herald. Someone runs to the nearest town, shouts victory, and then he runs on to the next town and shouts victory, and then he runs on to the next town and shouts victory till the whole region knows the victory has been won and everyone would be partying and everyone would be full of joy at this great victory. And it's really important, I think, that we understand that. Because if that's what's at the heart of the gospel, a good herald, if that's what the heart of the Christian message, a good, joyful news of victory, then that's what marks Christianity out from every other religion and every other philosophy. You see, the gospel of Jesus isn't good advice about what you must do. It's not about moral laws for how you can be nice people. It's primarily good news about what has already been done for you. Something that has already happened in spite of you. That is massive. And if you haven't experienced the power of the gospel in your life, it might be for you that that breakthrough comes when you realize how utterly different the gospel of Jesus is because it's not good advice. It's good news. What's at the heart of Christianity? I wonder how you answered that question. I suspect if we went out uh, into the streets a little bit and said, what, what's at the heart of Christianity? Some people might answer that question by saying, well, it's love God, love your neighbor, love yourself, like the golden rule, if you like. And those kind of things are great. I mean, if everybody in the world loved God, loved their neighbor, and loved themselves, the world would be a much better place. But to say Christianity is about loving God, loving neighbor, and loving self, that's not news. That's advice. It's part of Christianity, but it's not the heart of Christianity. It can't be because it's not news. It's something to live up to, a standard to attain. It's not a joy over something that's been done for you. The joy of knowing what Jesus has done for you, however, then begins to overflow so that you finally can love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. Is what you believe, is what you live, is what you share with people good news? The power of the gospel is that something has happened outside of you for you that does something inside of you to give you life-giving joy. I'll just say that again. The power of the gospel is something that has happened outside of you, in spite of you, for you, that will do something inside of you that will give you life-changing joy. Tim Keller says that if you went to someone 
with the Christian message. If you went to kind of tell them about the gospel and said the Christian message is love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself, you'll get one of three responses. You'll either get a, sure, I know that, but meh, a sort of indifference. Uh, you'll get someone who might say, I get that, but that is so hard, and so I can never live up to that, and they feel crushed. Or you'll get someone who says, well, I'm a good person. I kind of do that stuff anyway, a kind of smugness or arrogance even. That approach doesn't elicit a life-transforming moment when your whole world changes. For me, I grew up uh, going to church, uh, hearing all about Jesus, going to Sunday school, uh, how you had to be lovely and nice and kind and generous to people, about uh, how we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I, I kind of got Christianity in a sense. I'd heard Jesus died for me and my sins could be forgiven. I, I kind of got it. But it wasn't until uh, I went on a particular summer camp, not until I was about 19 or 20, actually, that suddenly this breakthrough dropped. That it wasn't about me. It was about something that had happened outside of me, for me. And suddenly, as that drops, I recognized what Jesus had done for me in spite of me. I just found myself uh, crying. Actually, just tears, I didn't know why, just tears streaming down my face. And looking back now, there were tears of joy. I'd never really experienced joy. I grew up in a northern town, Sheffield. It's never, ever sunny. I didn't know what joy was. Suddenly, uh, they only got electricity last year, I believe. And I suddenly knew what joy was. And just tears of joy as I recognized it was something God had done outside of me for me. But then I also kind of tears of compassion, actually, just, just kind of desperate for other people to know this as well. What had changed, well, in a way, the mess, what I'd heard about Jesus hadn't changed, but suddenly the Spirit dropped it into my heart, that it wasn't about loving the Lord my God and neighbor as myself. That's part of it, but it was about something that Jesus had done. It wasn't good advice for my life, but it was good news because of what Jesus had done for me. The author Richard Phillips says this, we're not called as a church to give lifestyle tips or the self-help plumbing that today's men and women crave. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and so we must proclaim it. So we're just going to pause for a second. We're just going to stop there. What is your understanding or experience of the gospel? Have you made the gospel mainly about you, about how you ought to live, about what you must do? Or is it mainly about him and what he has done? Just take a moment to reflect on that. What is the gospel? What's your understanding or experience? How have you lived that up to now? power of the gospel is that it is good news. Secondly, we're going to look at the contents of the gospel. Again, just turning where you are, uh, just want you to imagine you're in an elevator, you're on the fifth floor, it's going to go down to the ground floor. The person with you, you've literally got 20 seconds to tell them the gospel. Okay, This is your chance, if you like, to convert someone, to persuade them that they should give their life to Jesus. You've got 20 seconds in an elevator. They've said, tell me about the gospel, what do you say? Go.
So I'm sure you've used plenty of words uh, to describe what the gospel is. Um, now, I think if you ask a lot of people, a lot of Christians to describe the gospel just like that, one of the words they would use and kind of zoning on is forgiveness. God forgives you. Do people use that word? Do people talk about forgiveness? Some did, some didn't. Brilliant. Uh, often we, we kind of think that, that the gospel is about forgiveness. But Paul doesn't say that. In his nutshell of the gospel, he talks about salvation and he talks about the righteousness of God coming to us and us receiving it by faith. Through the gospel, we see that in Jesus' death and resurrection, we receive salvation and we receive God's righteousness. You see, the gospel absolutely is about forgiveness, but it's about so much more than forgiveness as well. There's nothing wrong with forgiveness. It's great. It's part of the package. But when t Paul talks about salvation here, he doesn't restrict it to just talking about forgiveness. It's so much bigger than that. The New Testament, if you look through different verses, how salvation is used and the context it's used in, uh, these are just a few, but salvation is about wholeness. And yes, it's about forgiveness, but it's about so much more. It's about wholeness. So salvation is about uh, healing from physical illness. It's about feeling secure amidst danger. It's about being saved from lostness. It's about being saved from feelings of loneliness. It's about freedom from the tyranny and bondage of sin. It's about freedom from condemnation and guilt and shame. It's about knowing the peace of God. It goes far wider than all that as well. It brings wholeness not just to our lives, but to our relationships with others and even to the whole of creation itself. The idea that because Jesus died on the cross, when I do something wrong, I can be forgiven is true and it's wonderful. But salvation, what Paul's talking about here, is so much more wonderful than just that. You see, if salvation is just that because Jesus died on the cross, uh, now when I ask forgiveness, I'm forgiven and God wipes the slate clean. Do you know what that means? Do you realize what that means? It means that even though he's forgiven me for what I just did wrong and that uh, the slate has been wiped clean, the relationship with God is still up to me. Sure, I've been forgiven and God said he's not going to hold it against me. But there's kind of this thing of, I better try harder and get it right next time. And just because he's forgiven me, it doesn't necessarily bring wholeness to the relationship with God. And it doesn't bring wholeness necessarily to my relationship with others and my relationship with creation. It doesn't necessarily give me new life in abundance. It leads to that, but it doesn't just do that by itself. Tim Keller explains it like this. Think for a moment uh, of a prisoner. What is going to get a prisoner new life? Well, a pardon, a forgiveness, a, a pardon will give him, to some extent, a freedom. Let's just say the judge pardons him. He's out now. He's out of the gates. Has he got a new life yet? Kind of, but no. He's not in prison, sure, but he's still experiencing guilt and shame. He's probably still finding it hard to have peace. He's now got to find a job somewhere to live. He's got to build friendships again. He's pardoned, but he doesn't yet have the full, whole, new life. 
Salvation of the gospel isn't just getting a pardon. It is that. But it's also like getting a knighthood, a VIP pass, and access all areas on top of that pardon. But they're not our medals and honors. But instead, we're covered with Jesus' medals of valor and his rewards and his glory and honor because he took on evil and he went down to death. And all that he deserves as a result of doing all that is now on us. It's the divine exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it like this. God made him, Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin. Yes, we're forgiven actually we receive the whole righteousness of God as well. Now the whole universe salutes us. God delights in us. It's not just forgiveness. It's being clothed in the righteousness of Christ that means that everything that is now true of Christ is true of us. It's a righteousness from God given to me by a gift. So when you ask someone if they're a Christian and they say, sort of, or maybe a bit, or I'm trying, it kind of shows really that they haven't fully grasped what Christianity is. Because Christianity isn't what we do, it's who we are. It's about our standing in Christ. You might not feel good enough to be a Christian. Of course you don't. You're not. You are in him, and he is always good, utterly good, covered in medals and banners and glory. And so rather than us looking for righteousness, for kind of external validation in in lots of other places, whether money, looks, achievements, all these things that don't last, the only righteousness will be the one that is bestowed on us in Jesus just want to finish by talking about the third bit, the power of the gospel. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He's not saying the gospel brings the power of God or it results in the power of God or it's a means to the power of God. It says the gospel is the power of God. Therefore, when I believe the gospel, when I hear the gospel, when I understand it, when I grasp its meaning, its words, when I actually get this gospel into my heart, into my head, into my life, then I begin to know the power of God working through me. I naturally want to be more like Jesus. Therefore, the way you know you're beginning to understand the gospel, is that rather than it just being a set of mental ideas that you ascribe to, you begin to sense it being a power in your life. Just two ways I think you can sense that power. The first way might not be what we expect, but the first way we can begin to sense that power at work in our lives or in the work of others is the offensiveness Paul says in several places, the gospel is offensive to people. It's a stumbling block to some. 
Paul's a great example of this. Paul, before he became a Christian, was called Saul. He liked nothing better than stoning a few Christians. He found the Christians and the gospel and Jesus so offensive that he made it his life mission to wipe them out. Paul says here, I'm not ashamed. Why? Well, because presumably he's been there. And it also means that a whole lot of other people are offended by the gospel. They think it's crazy. It's either too simple or it's too complicated or, or whatever reason. But the gospel contradicts the heart of every culture in the world. Every world view is completely on its own. And so when I begin to feel and wrestle with and struggle with things that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on, it's a sign that something's happening, that I'm beginning to understand more of the gospel because it offends me. Because I don't want to do it. I want to rebel against it. I don't like it. But it's a sign that I'm beginning to allow and understand more of the gospel to be at work in me. The gospel is never an academic lecture of bullet points. It's from a person to a person. And therefore, when we hear the words of the gospel, it feels personal. The second way I think we can begin to sense the power of the gospel and know that we're beginning to understand it more is that we have a desire to change. And again, Paul's a good example of this. When he met Jesus, when he encountered Jesus, his life was changed radically. It flipped on its head. He wanted to be more like Jesus. He desired to be more like him. If we look just a few verses back at the beginning of this chapter, uh, in verse 7, he writes, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. It just sounds like a greeting. But in that verse, Paul is kind of giving us a definition of what a Christian is. Not someone living in a certain way. But someone who's loved by God. Your relationship has been changed through what Jesus did. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. If you're loved, if you know you're loved, then you begin to know you're called. You begin to know you're invited. You begin to be attracted to live the life of a saint, which essentially means you live uh, to be holy. You never ever have the righteousness of God put upon you without at the same time finding it beginning to develop in you. You never ever are loved by God in spite of your bad character without that starting to change your character. The righteousness of God will never be put upon you without its being developed within you. Do you know the power of the gospel? Do you know what it really means to be a Christian? The power of the gospel is the salvation for everyone who believes. The power of the gospel is that we are given the righteousness of God. So much more than just being forgiven, although that is essential. And the power of the gospel means that we'll naturally begin to want to be transformed and live a different life. If we all understood more and grow more in the understanding the power of the gospel. Just imagine 
how different things would be as you woke up in the morning, as you went into your lectures, as you began mixing with those people you normally mix with. Is what you're believing, living, and sharing good news to people? Can they see it in the way you live? You say you're a Christian. Is it good news to people? We clearly can't do that by ourselves. That's the point. That's why we're clothed in God's righteousness. And so I'm just going to finish by reading a passage from 2 Timothy uh, about the power of the Spirit, about the power of the gospel in us. So let's stand together. We're going to use this as a prayer because it's the work of the Spirit in us that reveals Jesus and unleashes the power of the gospel in our lives. writes this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, has brought life, and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the power of your gospel. We thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can know forgiveness. We thank you that we're saved, but Lord, we thank you that that definition of that is just always so much bigger than we can get our heads around. That you did so much more for us than we can even begin to imagine. Lord, would you enlarge our understanding of you, our understanding of the gospel. And might we too, as we go about our business, be good heralds sharing the good news of you in our words, through the way we live, that others might come to know you and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.